Welcome to today's edition of the Blazing Grace Show with Jason Graves and Mike Janung. Blazing Grace covers blazing issues with grace-filled answers. Here are your hosts, Jason and Mike. Oh yes, another exciting edition of the Blazing Grace Show. This is Jason Graves along with Mike Janung. Hello, Michael. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm suffering. The Lakers have lost <laughs> six in a row and... <laughs> oh, you poor thing. What am I going to do with that? I don't know. Maybe switch to the Clippers. <laughs> um, well, I tell you what, it's very interesting we're talking about suffering because that's, that's the topic for the show today. And so you're asking, what? why would you be doing a show on suffering? Well, I think we can all relate to it in the first place, right? Uh, but uh, we've got some stories to share around suffering. We want to certainly connect with you about those stories and certainly make it uh, make more space for your own stories to be known in the places where you're able to share those things. And um, but also just look at how we can identify with Christ through suffering. Mm. So, Mike, I know that this is a, a unique time of year for you and your family and how that connects with suffering. So mm. why don't you share about your own experience there? Sure. Uh, March 11th, 1997, our second son, Scott, was born, and mm. and uh, everything was going, seemed to be going well with the birth, but then Michelle started having heavy bleeding during mm. the contractions and her placenta ruptured. And mm. <clears throat> it wasn't too long before she started just turning white as a ghost. And mm. she has some color to her skin, but mm-hmm. they took her in for emergency C-section and then Scott came out in a seizure. Mm. He wasn't breathing and they tried to clear his lungs and still couldn't get him to breathe. And so then they took him, put him on a ventilator, which did the breathing for him for the next four days and, and basically found out that his cerebellum hadn't properly formed. Oh. And within one hour, one hour after Scott was born, a doctor walked up to me and said, there's no hope for this baby. And I'm not a violent guy, but I just wanted to knock his teeth out right then and there. Right. I was so shocked. <clears throat> and then I ran into the truck and cried for about 15 minutes straight. Right. And uh, after the fourth day, they said, we need to see if he can breathe on his own. So they took him off the ventilator mm-hmm. and, he, and he breathed on his own for about a day. And then... He was born on a Tuesday, and that Friday night, I came home exhausted from the hospital. And then there's been a few times when God has really spoken clearly in my life, and, and the words came to me, as clearly as anything, will you release him to me? Tomorrow you will have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I started crying, no, 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 don't put that on me. I, I don't want that on me. Right. And then Saturday morning came, I'm getting ready to go to the hospital. Michelle calls, Scott had stopped breathing on his own, and they want a decision right then and there whether they should let him die or put him back on the ventilator. Mm. So then I knew that that was God speaking the night before and that that was the choice he had for me to make. And Mm -hmm. so I told her, I think we need to let him go home, Mm -hmm. rush to the hospital, and and Michelle and I held him while he died. Mm. And uh, this is a boy who's basically brain dead, and Michelle and I are crying and asking God for something, and and he smiled. Uh It was just the most amazing thing, and I just had this overwhelming overwhelming sense that God was there in that room. Right. And then he died, and and, uh, pretty much I was just broken for about a year after that. Right. The mornings I'd sit there, I just couldn't pray, couldn't read the Bible, just sat there and stared, and other mornings I'd be crying and crying Mm -hmm. my eyes out. But today I can see that God used that in so many different ways because I was a driven workaholic. And um, 
that really broke me mm-hmm. of the idea that that work could be a god or satisfy in any way, and it showed me the true value of my children and my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hate to say it, but about six months after uh, that event, I acted out with porn. I was still struggling back at that time, and I'd always had this concept that or hope that some big emotional traumatic event was going to cleanse me of of that sin, but that doesn't happen. Right. But um, part of what I hope our listeners gain from today is that there is a blessing in suffering, and when we run from it, it's only going to make it worse. Right, right. So we Definitely. have to face it, and, and we just had a birthday cake March mm-hmm. 11, just a couple of days ago for mm-hmm. Scott, and mm-hmm. my little son Sean was crying as we talked about what happened. But right. you know, you read in the Bible, there's a lot of people that are crying, suffering, going through tears, and they're expressing it. Mm-hmm. So it's very healthy. Right. So Scott would be s- seven or eight today? Ten. Ten. Oh, okay. So this is 1997. Right. Okay. So 10 years old. So you have got four children, and certainly um, it'd be much different if you didn't have any children. But still, this is something that really affects your family. I mean, here's, um, you know, your your son now is... is 13 12 yeah okay so sean's 12 years old (laughs) and uh he's still having this kind of reaction so that just really speaks of the power that this has in your family still and so how do you experience that on on a day-to-day basis i mean how does that come to you because obviously it's not just a once a year thing how does that touch your life week to week or month to month well around this time of the year these feelings of grieving sometimes start to surface and Mm -hmm. They can be strongest in the morning. And, and um, so what I do with them is I'll just go to God and I'll just be honest and I'll say, Lord, um, I grieve the loss of Scott today. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I'll write out the feelings in a journal. and mm-hmm. But basically I just talk with him and I'll talk with Michelle and, you know, we'll just kind of maybe express our members have some memories on what happened and just kind of minister to each other in these moments. And, right. <clears throat> but also I... I Go to the Lord with it, and I let Him minister to me. Because when I when I just go to Him and be honest, I find that He comforts me, and I'm always reminded that Scott is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And without that hope, I don't know how people who aren't Christians deal with this stuff. Because right. we'd have been devastated beyond belief. Yeah, if it wasn't for that. Yeah, I mean, I just picture myself in that situation, Mike. Honestly, with here a five week old little girl mm-hmm. that we're just loving and adoring right before I came to the studio today I was you know kissing her face and you know I just I just think about me in that situation and and I don't know if I if I if I have suffered like that in my life I mean I think about that kind of suffering mm-hmm. and there's just something about family related suffering that um you could probably even say in your life of all the suffering I've had this really is distinct so I bet you that, you know, there's people out there that, that really can connect with that and relate with family suffering and, uh, and the impression that it makes on your life. Well, and we get plenty of emails from wives who are mm-hmm. suffering in all this pain mm-hmm. from the stuff their husbands are doing and they're looking for a way out and they're crying for somebody to talk to. And mm-hmm. for me, when I was going through that, just having somebody I could talk to made such a difference. Right. And uh, I know there are people who go through trauma like this, and they try and bottle it up and can it, right? stuff it, and that's the worst thing we can do. Well, yeah, and that is such a common reaction. And, I mean, did you, 
did you have that reaction? Did you stuff it at all? Did you can it for a while or was that foreign to your experience? Um, it was so overwhelming and powerful that I knew that if I even tried to do that, it just, mm-hmm. I'd go insane. So you were lucky. You were pretty healthy when you went through this to, to a degree to where you could talk about it, be open with it and process it. But I mean, what, what do you say to the person that um, is stuffing it and is not looking at their suffering? And um, what do you say about the possible roots that they may need to look at about that so that they don't have to stuff it anymore? Well, I would say that first off, when we stuff, the problem is going to compound with interest. It's not going to mm-hmm. go away. Right. So, I mean, even years past, we're still affected 10 years mm-hmm. later by this. And mm-hmm. somebody who stuffs it and, and grieves, I mean, basically, you're cutting off a part of your heart. Mm-hmm. We, we can't just, we're not robots. Right. God made us to express pain, to feel it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when I was a sex addict, I can honestly say I tried to run from pain with everything I had. Right. I didn't want to experience that. I didn't, I didn't want to feel depression. I was terrified of rejection. Right. So uh, to the person who's going through suffering, I, w- I would say, you know, we have to look back first at our family roots. How did our family communicate? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have to be honest, my family didn't really talk about problems very often. Right. And, um, I mean, that's part of what we're here doing with this radio show on sex addiction is encouraging people about to be transparent and open with their brokenness. Right. So uh, I would just say that, you know, we're to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, mm-hmm. and uh, we're supposed to weep with those who weep, and that's such a yeah. blessing. Bear one another's burdens. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I love, like, my men's group. I can just go dump on those guys, and I don't need to feel guilty about it, you know, about taking the time up and everything. But it's so important for us to find a safe place to be able to do that. Because there's all sorts of things that want to get in the way of us expressing what's in our heart. Uh, fear, fear of being judged. Mm. I can share about that when I talk about my suffering, but um, sometimes we are judged, but that doesn't mean we need to be f- afraid of it. Uh, then there's other uh, other things like guilt, like, well, you know, I'm taking up time here. I'm, you know, talking about my stuff. And some people have a real hard time or mm. shame, you know, things that the enemy is said to us uh, that we've believed that are lies that basically change who we think we are in the kingdom and in, in terms of our identity with God being one of his children. You know, we, we exchange the truth for a lie when we buy into that shame. So it's a lot there. Well, anything else that you want to say about your experience with suffering? Um, I remember that Chuck Swindoll said something years ago that I never forgot. He said, when God wants to use a man, he takes him and crushes him. Hmm. And uh, I remember always wanting to be used, but I really didn't want to be crushed. Right. But it, it's so true because without that crushing, we, we still have that pride left intact mm-hmm. that I can do this on my own. Right. We still rely on our own strength. Mm-hmm. And, um, and God... There's so much that he's taught. He's taught me more through the times of suffering than he ever has or that, than I've ever seen through the times when things are going well and I'm not really connecting with him. Right. Yeah, and there is such a danger in not being willing to be crushed or not being in a position to be crushed or just not being crushed because if we do things on our own strength and in, in our own pride, I mean, A, we're missing out on the, the resources of the universe by partnering with, with the Lord of hosts and God who wants to be in there for us and can make it so much better. Mm. But secondly is that, you know, 
we often overestimate our own power and strength, don't we, in our pride. And so therefore, um, we, uh, we're a little unstable. So, so yeah, important to be crushed, not fun or something we look forward to, but certainly it's a, it's a loving crush, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good, good. Well, listen, if you're just joining us, this is the Blazing Grace Show. And today, Mike Janung and I are talking about the issue of suffering. And it's something that we can all uh, kind of relate to as, as people in recovery and addicts or co-addicts. People are uh, in recovery alongside with an addict. But I uh, want to share a little bit about my story with suffering as well, Mike, in just a second here. But uh, just a quick announcement. Um, we've got the first ever hopefully annual, possibly last, Healing for the Soul reunion retreat. So we are going to be celebrating relationships, which is the theme here in uh, Florissant, Colorado. It's about 45 minutes west of Colorado Springs and the beautiful mountains of the of the Rockies. And we're going to be uh, getting together and uh, having some workshops on relationships. We're going to be um, having some very relational healing worship time with counselors there that can pray with you, and uh, we'll be talking on the theme of, of relationships. So if you want more information, you, go, you can go to healingforthesoul.org and click on this services tab, and the brochure is on the retreat page. So we'd love to have as many Blazing Grace listeners as possible come and join us May 18th through the 20th. So, so is this excited. for men and women? Good question. Uh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> it is for men and women. You can come as an individual or with your spouse. If you're single, if you're married, whatever. Uh, we've got uh, room for everyone. So we've got uh, Cisco, Cisco Tercero, who is a uh, acclaimed worship leader, going to be uh, leading worship all weekend. And we're even going to have, unlike most retreats, we're going to have some downtime on Saturday, some, some time to go fly fishing or hiking or it's right next to the fossil beds up there in Florissant, so we're pretty pretty excited about the range of activities there. So, mm. And of course, Baby Sayla will be there to, uh, uh, to meet a lot of her honorary aunties and uncles, so we're pretty excited about that. <laughs> so, but let me just share a little bit about my story with suffering, because Mike, when I hear your suffering, it's humbling, because mm. again, I, I really, for me, I think that would impact me more than anything I could ever imagine. I, I really can't imagine anything being harder to go through than, than with my family, you know, my wife or my daughter. I mean, just devastating. But I know for me, there have been times in my life where uh, the suffering has been very rich, very tangible, and something I did not enjoy at the time, but look back and see a lot of character from. Um, and it has primarily to do with when I started to be really real about my struggle um, with uh, primarily same gender attractions. And I remember I was, uh, working as an intern in the youth ministry department, uh, department at my home church back in the Seattle area. And, uh, I was getting my haircut one day and talking to my haircut guy who I'd known for years and was a good friend. He was talking about how he was a sex addict and how he's in a group for sex addicts. And I thought, wow, well, how interesting. I hadn't really heard of that before. But he was telling me about how he had all these rules and couldn't look at women and all this kind of stuff. I thought, wow, good for you. And I thought, well, it's interesting. I, I've struggled with a lot of the same things. His name is Patrick. And, but, you know, Patrick, I, I, my issue has really been more lust centered around guys, not gals. 
And so he said, well, glad you told me, you know, you should really go and tell your pastor this. And so I thought, well, why not? You know, I'm, I'm into being a transparent person and Mm. my pastor was somebody I trusted implicitly. So I went and told him, he was a youth pastor about a guy about my same age. And he said, wow, you know, I'm so glad you told me. I never would have known that about you. Now, you know, I was just telling him about my struggle, which was pretty much just in my mind, you know, these feelings and thoughts that were unwanted. Um, but hadn't ever acted out with another person in my adulthood and wasn't acting out with another person at that time. So he said, well, just to be on the safe side, let's go ahead and share this with the executive pastor of the church. Now, the executive pastor was the person who was in charge of all the other pastors. This was a big mega church, and uh, there was probably, I don't know, 30 pastors, right? Mm. And so this guy was my former college pastor, somebody who mentored my brother and somebody who I trusted, told him about what was going on and um, thought I was safe because I thought he was maybe in touch with his own struggle, which um, seemed to be something similar. And uh, he said, well, okay, thanks for telling me. Never would have known, known that or guessed that. Uh, let's go tell the team leader pastors. Now, the team leader pastors <laughs> was a uh, kind of a council of pastors who were the leaders of the other pastors. And so these were guys who were like my mentors and in the ministry and uh, their kids were in my youth groups. And so uh, people that I, again, trusted really implicitly. Well, just to give you a little background, about six months prior to this, we had lost our only se- senior pastor of 25 years because he was being sexually inappropriate with young oh. men. So every single night in the news, he was being flayed. Our church was being, you know, just roasted. And he finally stepped down. So we had gotten this new guy, new pastor in. And uh, I, I learned a lot about timing <laughs> through this whole thing. I learned a lot about not casting my pearls before swines. But essentially what happened was I went into this room with him and these, these other uh, team leader pastors. All shared. 30 of them? No, there was uh, 10 on the council, mm-hmm. and they were the leaders of the 30 uh, oh. other pastors. And so 10 of them were there and shared with them what was going on. And uh, they said, okay, well, why don't you step out and we'll just discuss this. And they asked, me, they asked me a few questions. I went out there, half hour went by, hour went by. You know, this whole time I was thinking, these guys are just going to give me some accountability, encourage me for doing the right thing by just being open about this and, uh, and give me some support that way. Two hours went by, started to question that whole line of thinking, went back in the room. They said, well, listen, you know, you're describing an impurity and uh, here's what we're going to have you do. You're stepping down from all ministry. Uh, We're taking off the payroll. You need to go to counseling every week. Now, I'd already been going to counseling with Joe Dallas. I had been going to an Exodus group and I had my life in the light and I was working on this stuff. Um, But they wanted me to go counseling with one of their pastors. And so I did that. Um, you can't have any contact with children, which I'm not you know, really sure what that was about. And um, then they basically uh, said, we'll reevaluate in four to six months. Well, I did everything that they asked me. It was very painful. I mean, I, the ministry was my life at this point. I was doing ministry, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, so to step away from this and to not be able to tell all the kids, mm. there was hundreds of kids. I mean, we were having outreaches of a thousand or more and, you know, I was, I was being able to speak at these outreaches. So I was very, you know, had a lot of exposure, a lot of connections with these kids and not being able to tell them why I was stepping down and having to kind of make up this, this vague, phony reason of, well, I'm just sort of burnt out. That was really hard. Um, then seeing the kids at church, but not being able to really talk with them, having to kind of keep my distance was very painful. 
uh, not being able to really tell my friends or other people in the ministry really what was going on for me. That was like, you know, being almost invisible in my church. Did you feel like an outcast? I felt very much like an outcast, especially with these team leader pastors. Uh, I was very tempted to get bitter at them, but I, the whole time I just clung to the, the hope and the belief that God was going to make good on this and he was going to redeem it. But yeah, I did feel like an outcast when it came to these pastors because four months went by, they didn't review. Five months went by, they didn't review it. Six months went by, I went, I saw the writing on the wall mm. and I basically uh, went and took a job in another state. So, um, you know, it was painful, uh, felt marginalized, but you know, God has really used it for sure. When I see people who now feel very scared about being in the light with their stories with anybody, I have a lot of confidence in being able to tell them, listen, you can be in the light with people and it can get messy. It doesn't have to. Um, but I have some wisdom to pass along, you know, like don't throw your pearls before swines. You don't need to tell people who don't need to know certain things, but also, um, you know, be, be careful about how you tell it. I wish I would have told those people from more of a position of strength and victory than a position of, boy, I'm, I'm just really struggling with this because at that point I really was struggling with this mm. You know, to the, to this day or at this point in my life in this struggle, I can talk about it a whole, a whole lot differently. So, yeah, there, there's my suffering, all right? You have it, all right? <laughs> so from that furnace, looking back today, what can you say God did to you in your heart personally from it? Great question. Um, number one, he affirmed me. He said, you know what? These men were just doing the best they could. Mm. Um, they're broken human beings too, and they deal with things like fear. And they deal th- th- with things like uh, judgmentalism. And they deal with things like ignorance. And I think there was a lot about their decision-making that, that had those influences in it. But God can still use that. And he, he affirmed me that I am the authority in your, your life. And these people, authority, the only authority they have over you is because of me. So if you obey and if you apply yourself to what they give you, I'm going to, I'm going to bless your life because of it. And he has. Um, redemption. I mean, gosh. If I hadn't gone through that, if I wouldn't have this story to tell. You know, people need encouragement that people have been through these kinds of stories because there's, there's people in churches getting judged left and right. Mm. And my message to them is a message of hope that, look, it doesn't matter if you've been judged. Go to another church, you know, or go back and reconcile with those people and say, hey, you know what? I think you could have done things a little different here, you know, and, I, and I've tempted to do that as well. How did you cope with the temptation to turn a bitterness or criticism or judging on them? Well, um, that wasn't easy because I come from a long line of championship grudge holders. Mm. Okay. So <laughs> the Graves clan can hold a grudge like, like no one. All right. Uh, so I was really tempted to get bitter and sure. Did I take some distance from these people? Yeah, I did take a little healthy distance from them, but I didn't cut them off and I didn't dwell on my anger towards them. Mm. Um, instead I have prayed for them. I have approached them and I've, try to direct the energies, any negative energies that I had, uh, anger and whatnot, to something that's been um, reparative or redemptive or, or good. And so, you know, now, these days, I'm doing counseling, um, I'm doing speaking, and uh, I'm opening my mouth on the radio, radio regularly. So, so. <laughs> 
Hopefully that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's great because isn't yeah. the temptation to go to judging, isn't that so subtle and so powerful and easy to fall into? I think it is. And, you know, there's a difference between being uh, making a judgment and being judgmental. Mm. You know, it is important to make a right judgment, as the Bible calls us to, to be discerning. But when we take it one step further to say, I'm better than you because of this, that's called judgmentalism. All right. So there's a difference to be explored there. We just have a minute, but I mean, I, I just hope that this show is ministered to you today because we've all, we can all connect to suffering. The wife, like you said earlier, Mike, who's out there, who needs answers because of her husband's acting out, um, who needs support, needs somebody to talk to, and needs to trust and hope again. The addict who's just in the throes of this addiction. Um, you know, we want to we want to help you. We hope that this has been uh, support to you. But just remember that Jesus can redeem the suffering. And he has suffered more than the cumulative suffering of all mankind up on that cross. So we can identify with Jesus in our suffering. So embrace your suffering and let's take it and and move redemptively to the future. Next week, we're going to talk with Tom Pettigo. So make sure and tune in right here. This is the Blazing Grace Show. We'll see you around. So long. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Blazing Grace Show. We trust today's broadcast helps bring you closer to God and to what God desires for your life. Blazing Grace is a listener-supported mission intended to help listeners around the world. Your support is vital in keeping that mission alive. We ask you to prayerfully consider sending a tax-deductible gift to Blazing Grace. It would be gratefully appreciated. You can send your monetary gift to Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 625. Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. That's Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. Want to learn more about Blazing Grace? Find us on the internet at www.blazinggrace.org. That's www.blazinggrace.org forward slash radio HTM. On that page, you'll find a downloadable copy of this show, or you can visit oneplace.com under ministries. Look for Blazing Grace Radio. If you want help resolving a sexual addiction, you can reach Jason Graves toll free by dialing 877-590-SOUL. That's 877-590-7685. In addition to Jason Graves counseling, Mike Janung has a book out. Mike Janung's book, The Road to Grace, Finding True Freedom from the Bondage of Sexual Addiction is available at www.roadtograce.com. The book guides those who struggle with sexual addiction to a place of finding the abundant life of Christ. There are also sections for wives and recovery for marriage. Desire for a specific subject to be covered on Blazing Grace? Tell Mike Janung what you want covered. You can email Mike at Mike, the symbol at blazinggrace.org. We look forward to sharing more blazing issues and grace-filled answers next time. Thanks once again for listening, and may God shine his grace upon you.